The views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or CUBIST, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. The TBI Center of Excellence, or TBI-COE, produces this program. I'm your host today, Don Marion. I'll be speaking with Amanda Gano. Ms. Gano is a physician assistant and TBI subject matter expert at TBI-COE. Amanda and I will discuss a study entitled Trajectories of Insomnia in Adults After Traumatic Brain Injury by Emerson Wickwire and colleagues and published in JAMA in January of 2022. Today, we also are honored to welcome Dr. Wickwire on as a special guest on this episode. Dr. Wickwire is a professor of psychiatry and medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and section head of sleep medicine at the University of Maryland Midtown Medical Center. He has also collaborated with TBI-COE in the past and led the expert working group in the development of the TBI-COE management of sleep disturbances following concussion, mild traumatic brain injury clinical recommendation. Welcome, Dr. Wickwire. Hi, Don. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Wickwire. Uh, Would you mind starting off by explaining a little bit about the relationship between insomnia and TBI and why this is important? Don, I'd be happy to. Insomnia simply means difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep with associated daytime impairment. As a rule of thumb, this means taking 30 or more minutes to fall asleep or being awake for a total of 30 or more minutes during the night. To diagnose chronic insomnia disorder, symptoms need to be present three nights or more per week and to have lasted for three months or more in duration. Daytime consequences of insomnia can be very broad and run the gamut from fatigue and lethargy to stress and anxiety to depressed mood, not to mention bodily complaints and cognitive impairment. You'll notice, Don, of course, that these symptoms have dramatic overlap with post-concussive symptoms experienced by individuals following TBI. Very strong evidence demonstrates that insomnia worsens each of these post-concussive outcomes, which is one reason why it's so important to understand the natural course of insomnia following TBI, which is what our recent study was all about. Last, it's important for listeners to understand that unlike other symptoms of TBI, we know how to treat insomnia. In fact, Treating insomnia improves outcomes in patients with anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic pain, alcohol and substance abuse, and on and on. And these are the exact conditions that plague many patients with chronic post-traumatic and post-concussive sequelae. These make insomnia an ideal treatment target to improve outcomes after TBI. Thanks for that overview, uh, Dr. Wickwire. Very, uh, very much appreciated. Uh, You know, I think that post-traumatic sleep problems are especially common in the military. I know that uh, during the Afghanistan conflict, for example, one of the most important functions of the concussion care centers and theater was to provide an opportunity for several days of rest and and appropriate sleep for concussed service members. Uh, I think this had a very positive effect on speed speed and quality of the recovery of those service members. 
Uh, and Amanda, thanks again for bringing this study to our attention. Could you tell us a little bit about how the study was done? Yeah, sure, Don. And hi, Dr. Wickwire. Thanks so much for being here. Please feel free to jump in as we're very lucky to have the principal investigator on this study here with us on our podcast today. So just a, a brief overview is this was a prospective cohort of over 2,000 participants as part of the TRAC TBI study with data uploaded to the Federal Interagency Traumatic Brain Injury Repository or FitBird database. So as you know, Don, the Transforming Research and Clinical Knowledge in Traumatic Brain Injury, or TRAC TBI study, is a, a longitudinal multi-site observational study that has collected and analyzed detailed clinical data on subjects at 18 U.S. sites across the TBI injury spectrum, along with CT and MRI imaging, blood biospecimens, and detailed clinical outcomes. So participants were enrolled at one of the 18 participating level one trauma centers and enrolled within 24 hours of their TBI. Data was collected from February 26, 2014 to August 8, 2018 and analyzed from July 1, 2020 to November 15, 2021. The objective here was to examine insomnia trajectories in the first 12 months after TBI. This was measured by using the Insomnia Severity Index and was assessed serially at two weeks and then at three, six, and 12 months. Amanda, the uh, Insomnia Severity Index is new to me. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, Don. So the Insomnia Severity Index, or the ISI, is a brief seven-item self-report measure that assesses nighttime and daytime symptoms of insomnia with individual item scores ranging from zero to four and total scores ranging from 0 to 28. So there are two ways that have been used to categorize insomnia symptoms using the ISI. One identifies an ISI score of greater than 10 as the optimal cut point to identify likely insomnia cases. And there's a second in which the ISI total score can be further classified into four ordinal levels of insomnia severity. So a score of 0 to 7 would indicate no clinically significant insomnia. A score of 8 to 14 would indicates that the patient may have mild insomnia. A score of 15 to 21, mild moderate insomnia and severe insomnia scores are between 22 and 28. So I guess the uh, insomnia severity index, Amanda, was kind of the key outcome variable. How successful uh, was uh, Dr. Wickwire and his team uh, in collecting the ISI data at each time point? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, about 55% of the subjects completed ISIs at all four time points, and 22% of patients had two to three missing assessments. Thanks, Amanda. So how did the investigators analyze the data? The investigators use unconditional latent class mixed models, or LCMMs, for ordinal data to model ISI trajectories over time and to classify participants into distinct latent trajectory classes. These classes were labeled as class 1 through 5. Class 1 indicated mild insomnia symptoms that did not change over time. Class 2 indicated mild insomnia symptoms that resolved over time. Class 3 were consistently severe insomnia symptoms. Class four were initially severe insomnia symptoms that resolved by 12 months, and class five were no initial reports of insomnia symptoms, but severe symptoms at 12 months. They also collected demographic and baseline characteristic data for analysis. So a big focus on the trajectories, it seems. So what did they find, Amanda? Yeah, so first, a little bit about the demographic data. Um, the mean age of this cohort was 40 with a standard deviation of 17 years. About 61% of uh, the patients were men and 32% were women. 
Among those uh, 2022 participants, 16% were black, 20% were Hispanic, about 77% were white, and uh, 6% were other race, including Alaska Native, American Indian, Asian, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander. Among those with data available, the most common cause of TBI was a motor vehicle accident at 57.4%. Most participants, 86.5% of those, had mild TBI, which was defined by a Glasgow Coma Scale score of 13 to 15. And more than one-fifth of those participants reported a history of psychiatric disorder, any psychiatric disorder that included uh, depression and anxiety. So based on the threshold for likely insomnia, so an ISI score of greater than 10 at two weeks after TBI, 740 of the 1,709 participants had a likely insomnia disorder. By the 12-month visit, only 418 of those 1,502 remaining participants continued to have a likely insomnia disorder. When the investigators looked at the trajectory data, 61.6% uh, were classified as class one and reported mild insomnia symptoms that did not change over time. 31% were class two and reported mild insomnia symptoms that resolved over time. 4.5% were class three and reported consistently severe insomnia symptoms. 2.2% were class four, reporting initially severe insomnia symptoms that resolved by 12 months. And a very small percentage, 0.7% were class five and reported no insomnia symptoms, but then reported severe insomnia symptoms at 12 months. Great. So when thinking about the trajectory data like this, especially o over a year, isn't the lack of treatment data an important confound? In, in other words, were most of the class four subjects, for example, treated effectively for their insomnia while those in class three were not? And, and you know, Dr. Workwire, feel free to jump in here. If you Sure, Don. I'll chime in. It's absolutely an important confound. And we simply don't have that level granular analysis following these participants. I want to give a shout out to my colleague, uh, Dr. Jeff Manley at UCSF, who's the administrative PI of, of Track TBI and his entire team, uh, who really were wonderful collaborators in, in supplementing the FitBear data. And in speaking with the Track TBI leaders and just thinking about this study more broadly, it's evident that the next step is to do the kind of detailed serial analysis with a sleep focus that, that simply hasn't been done yet. Uh, this really magnificent data set tracks 26 different outcome variables. And so although informative, the insomnia severity index is, is, is certainly a limitation. In other words, we're only assessing self-reported sleep symptoms. And what we hope to do in the future is the kind of deep dive, Don, that you're suggesting. We want to know about concurrent treatments. Obviously, we want to test our own treatments. We want to look at multi- method assessment of sleep to include subjective measures like the ISI and others, as well as objective measures, for example, accelerometry, home polysomnography, and so forth. Dr. Wicker, I understand your team also analyzed the association between demographic characteristics and clinical insomnia trajectory. And Could you explain your findings there? Uh, sure, Don. Uh, there were three key trends regarding demographics. Uh, first, Relative to other groups, black adults were more likely to experience persistent severe insomnia, and they were less likely to experience mild insomnia that resolves over time. And it's important to think about, well, why might that be the case? 
I do not know, uh, Don. And if uh, uh, you uh, or Amanda have, have thoughts, let, let's talk about them for our listeners. Uh, anecdotally, black adults are less likely to seek medical care for TBI, particularly mild TBI or concussion, and less likely to participate in research more broadly. Uh, but anyway, you cut it. The fact is that more work is needed to understand health disparities within the context of TBI. Our group, for example, is actively studying sleep health disparities in other disease states, and perhaps it's time we apply similar approaches to understanding traumatic brain injury. Second, in addition to race, sex was also related to insomnia trajectory status. Relative to men, women were more likely to experience persistent severe insomnia, and this finding is very consistent with the general insomnia literature. Women, relative to men, are more likely to experience insomnia in the general population. The third finding is that individuals with a history of prior psychiatric disorders, for example, depression and anxiety, were more likely to experience persistent severe insomnia, in other words, to have the worst insomnia outcomes, and again, less likely to experience mild insomnia that resolves. So black adults and adults with a history of prior psychiatric disorders were more likely to experience the worst outcomes and least likely to experience the most favorable outcomes in terms of insomnia trajectory group status. The bi-directional relationship, uh, Don, between insomnia and mental health conditions is very well established, and it's certainly possible that these individuals had pre-existing insomnia, but because we only start studying them at their time of TBI injury, of course we don't know that. Uh, thank you. That was a great explanation of uh, those issues. Um, so, Amanda, what was your take on the limitations of the study? Yeah, so Dr. Wickwire, you know, you touched on a few, but um, first, you know, track TBI included only patients that presented within 24 hours of injury to level one trauma centers. So trying to generalize these results to individuals with milder injuries that may not have presented to trauma centers is not really well known. Additionally, the study lacked an objective measurement of sleep, which again, we've already sort of touched on. Something like actigraphy or polysomnography would be better than this self-report assessment with the ISI. Expert consensus has supported a multi-method assessment of sleep after TBI that includes both subjective and objective measures. So that may be an area for future research. And finally, Dr. Wickwire and his colleagues acknowledged that perhaps the most important limitation was that this cohort study design makes it impossible to determine causality, which is really just so important to keep in mind. They point out that the extent to which a TBI caused insomnia observed in this sample is unknown and acknowledge the fact that one-fifth of participants in the sample reported a prior history of psychiatric disorder, which is well known to increase the risk of insomnia. Additionally, chronic pain and post-traumatic stress disorder are common after TBI and are also known to worsen insomnia severity. You know, one of the things I wanted to uh, emphasize that you pointed out, Amanda, was that uh, to some extent this is a unique group. And I've uh, spoken at length with Dr. Manley about this uh, on numerous occasions that, um, you know, it's not common for a sports-related concussion person to be taken to a level one trauma center and have a CT scan. And, you know, in order to be a part of the track TBI study, you had to have had both of those things happen, a CT scan obtained and 
and be at a level one trauma center. So I think we need to be careful. I know there's a track TBI study out in February uh, that I just reviewed this morning that talks about uh, uh, the majority of these people being symptomatic at one year after their injury. Well, again, that's that's not necessarily what you see with the typical sports-related concussion. So anyway, I just wanted to make that point. Dr. Wickwire, what would you say are the most important key takeaways from the study for a general practitioner or primary care provider? First, insomnia is very, very common after TBI. At two weeks, 28% of participants in our study had moderate to severe insomnia. Now, it's important to realize that that's moderate to severe insomnia, not simply any insomnia-positive flag. And uh, in the general population, Don and Amanda, roughly 10% of adults in the United States experience chronic insomnia disorder. So even at 12 months, 16% of our participants continue to experience moderate to severe insomnia. Now, 60 or more percent of participants in our study experienced persistent mild insomnia throughout the study. Undoubtedly, many of these patients will benefit from clinical intervention. Second, patients experience insomnia differently, and this is really important for frontline healthcare providers to keep in mind. We identified five distinct trajectories of insomnia, and Clinicians caring for these patients should ask about sleep, and they should ask about sleep early in the course of recovery. The second thing that I'd like to highlight is that really more work is needed to determine how to personalize treatments based on trajectory subgroup status. Presumably, but this has yet to be proven, treating individuals in the five trajectory classes that we identified differently will optimize and personalize approaches and improve outcomes. It's really important, uh, Don and Amanda, because as we discussed earlier, um, insomnia appears to be an ideal treatment target to improve outcomes, not only in terms of sleep, but also in terms of the entire constellation of TBI sequelae that can be caused or perpetuated or exacerbated by comorbid insomnia. Thank you very much, Dr. Wickwire, for uh, agreeing to participate in this today. This is a real treat to have the first author and PI of the study on our podcast, and so uh, we uh, very much appreciate it. That's all we have time for today. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the article we discussed and other relevant resources. Cubist is produced and edited by Vinnie White and was hosted today by me, Don Marion. It is a product of the Traumatic Brain Injury Center of Excellence, a branch of the Research and Engineering Directorate of the Defense Health Agency led by Branch Chief Captain Scott Coda, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode.